0: Go to 1 Peter, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted, the Lord is gracious. If you think about those verses, um, think about how it says newborn babes desire the pure milk of the work. Well, a newborn baby, he desires to be with his mama. He desires to be fed. He'll let you know he be fed. He'll let you know when he's hungry too. With that, we gotta be like those babies. We gotta be desiring the Word of God and being close to Him as that baby would be with his mother. Mm-hmm. And where's this that you may grow thereby? Well, when that baby is with his mother, he's getting fed. He's gonna grow more than a baby that's not with his mother. If you indeed have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious because he chose the, he chose us first. And he he's a he's like a mother. A mother's gracious to her baby. Because she would do anything for it, help it. That's how the Lord is. He will do anything, whatever we need. I mean, He died for us. He'll give us anything that we need to here on earth. So we don't have to worry about it. And that's how a mother is, or a child. She tries to keep all worry away from her child. So that child don't have to worry about nothing else in life until he gets old enough to fend for his own. But even though when we grow up, the Lord, He's still going to care for us. I mm-hmm. mean, He's the perfect parent. Mm-hmm. He is. And that's what I got out of these little verses. <laughs> so right. um, it's, it's amazing that how everything is connected, even parenthood and stuff like that, is connected to the Lord. Because He sets a perfect example for everything here on, the, on earth.
1: I ripped four miracles today. If y'all weren't here earlier. I announced that the Lord blessed my family's at Shoal Creek. Uh, Connor's been seriously missing there, and so um, the plan was for all the children to stay with Megan and go to Shoal Creek. I was trying to leave Dad's, and David let it be known that he was not being left behind. He was going with Daddy, and so we got home uh, late last night and. He went to bed, he went to bed in his own bed, he slept all night, uh, stayed in his bed, and he didn't wake up till after I was already showered and up, and he woke up in a good mood. So that was three miracles. <laughs> That's number four. <laughs> didn't know how this was going to go, so um, I guess when he wakes up, it'll be time for me to wrap up, right? Oh, it's good to be here this morning.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, it's good to be here. Um, it's good to be able to travel and to hear um, brother Jeff uh, Winfrey and Mariah I'll share with y'all at, at lunch a little bit more about that and we'll take that time right now um it's good to be at fellowship yesterday but um I'm glad to be I'm glad to be here I'm glad to be at home um and though there's just a few of us today I know that there are folks who are sick and traveling um man, what a sweet time to come and sing praises it didn't i'm it didn't sound you know, you get a can and you kind of get a marble in there and shatter it around and you just got like one person. It didn't sound like that at all. It was some sweet singing. So thank y'all for um, our leading our songs and um, thank the Lord is blessed. Um, I'm going to try and pray. I don't have um, a Paul from prayer from Paul this morning. I'm just going to jump right into James. But I'd just like to pray one more time. Our great Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for allowing little David to fall asleep on the bench when it's time for me to come preach. Lord, you're merciful to us in so many ways, and we don't recognize it. And Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified by all that we do today. I pray that you would bless those who are here and listening, Lord, that you would give them hearts and minds ready to receive your word. I pray that you would be with me, that I would have a a tongue ready to deliver your word and truth, and that in all things you would be magnified, and that uh, I would be made small, and that... Uh, your sheep would be fed and edified and they would grow thereby. Lord, I pray that you would grow this body, um, whether that's in numbers. More importantly, I pray that you would grow them in grace, grow them in knowledge, grow them in truth. Give them that sincere word, a desire for the sincere word. Lord, you know, as Brother Zach has mentioned, the the great urgency that a little baby has for his mother's milk. Lord, let us have that urgency and fervor and just strong desire for your word and let us grow. Father, we have tasted Your gracious, and that's why we're here. And Lord, help us to lay aside all those other things that that uh, are carnal and afflicted, and that just uh, that will afflict our righteous souls. Lord, when we continue to get into those things, I pray that You would give us courage to lay them down and to chase after You with great zeal. I pray that You bless the rest of this time and all that we say. It's in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to James. <clears throat> James, we've been in James for several weeks now, we did kind of a deep dive in theology last week um, in verses uh, 13 through 18, so I'm just going to read 13, starting at 13, um, and I won't rehash all that, Um, we don't have time, but we'll get on to, to our next verses. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God does not entice you to sin. That is never his purpose. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth, death. Do not err, do not be led astray or be deceived. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he, or produced, us with the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And we talked last time about using the gospel to grow us, to produce things that reflect his light, his glory, um, that we would grow and bear fruit for his name. And that context matters because the rest of the book is going to be practical application for how that happens. You've got the word, now grow, and then it gets into some specifics pick up that in verse 19. It says, Wherefore? Brother Zach read read a wherefore. Um, That means you you go back and you see the because. Why are we doing this? Because of the good gifts that he's given us. The most perfect gift is his son and his love for us, that free gift. Because of all those things, and now that he has produced us, um, and he has made us um, to be born again by his own uh, Holy Spirit, now he is growing us with his truth. Wherefore? Because of that, my beloved brethren, if you want to, something just to keep you entertained for a moment, next time you read through James, count up the number of times he says brethren or my beloved brethren. Right? He is constantly reaffirming that he the things that he says are going to be hard truths, but he's saying them out of love, and he is reminding them, I love you. You are my brothers in Christ, my beloved brethren. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man... Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For, because, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Okay. I'm sure you all all heard sermons on these verses before. Right. And often we look at it just in the context of personal conflict, right? you're kind of agitated with somebody, well, if you just keep your mouth shut and you listen more and you don't, don't, don't get angry so fast, you'll kind of be okay. Right? And that's true. That's, this is very sound, practical, godly advice for any scenario. But for the sake of this morning, I'd like us to consider it in the context of the church.
0: Okay?
1: In the context of the church, being swift to hear, slow to speak, Slow to wrath. He's writing to his beloved brethren, right? This is writing to the brethren who are going through trials and afflictions for their love for Christ. And so I think that makes sense to consider it within that context. All right, so swift. Look up that word, swift. It means what you think it is fleet, prompt. It also means ready. Are you ready to hear? How often do we come to church and we are not ready to hear? We've got everything else on our mind. We've got uh, sleep in our eyes because we didn't get enough rest of the night before. He did. <laughs> this is a miracle. Um, how often are we not ready and attentive, hanging on it? And I want to I just go back and look at some scriptures that, that reinforce this concept of being swift to hear. Let's go all the way back to Proverbs. Proverbs, I want chapter 8. The importance of listening and hearing. Now in the book of Proverbs, most of the Proverbs mentioned kind of come in couplets where it's got one and then another point that kind of gives a, a counterexample for the positive or the negative or the righteous or the ungodly. Chapter eight's a little bit different. There's a full theme in chapter eight that is talking about wisdom. And the verse first verses, you know, starts with doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth at the top of the high places by the way of the places in the path. She crieth. So what you're going to be reading for the rest of chapter 8 are those cries of wisdom. It's as if wisdom is a person and she's able to speak. All right? and so when you get all the way down to verse 33, wisdom is saying here, hear instruction and be wise. Refuse it not. Okay? The admonition is to hear, to hear wisdom, to know wisdom what you're listening to because we want to be hearing things that are good. We want to be seeking out godly sources of wisdom, right? And when we find them, we need to be able to hear instruction. And the word instruction implies that we don't know it all, right? If we think we know it all, we're really not ready to listen, right? We're lifted up in the pride in ourself of, you know, we're, I'm, I'm the teacher. I don't, I don't need you. I mean, right? And sometimes we can close off conversations with people of Well, you don't know my situation, and therefore you cannot give me any instruction. Or you're younger than me, or you're older than me, or you're not... Whatever, right? We make these assumptions, and we foreclose, we shut down our ears. They can still be talking, and we cannot be listening. Y'all ever done that? Or you've seen that happen when you're talking to someone, and you can just see the the glaze go over their eyes, right? Hear instruction, and be wise. Refuse it not, okay? Let's go forward a little bit just a little bit to ecclesiastes ecclesiastes chapter 5 again this is context of this particular passage is in the house of god itself ecclesiastes chapter 5 says keep thy foot when thou goest into the house of god and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. That's kind of a loaded verse. That expression of keep thy foot, we don't use that um, expression very often, but the idea is that when you have a stable footing, you're less likely to slip and fall on your face. Right? Less likely to backslide, you're less likely to make mistakes. Um, There's many request within the, the book of Psalms when David or whoever the Psalms this is is praying that the Lord would keep him from having his feet slip And so there is a, a conscious decision, a, a mental um, fervor or intentionality that's what I'm going to be intentional when you come into the house I'm coming with a purpose and I'm coming ready to hear and to hear instruction. And that I'm, I'm ready to receive it. That I may be wise. That I may grow in grace. Like Brother Zach said. That we need to hear the word and grow thereby. I'm more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. There were many people who came to the temple and gave their sacrifices. They didn't know why. They didn't care. They didn't care if it was pleasing to God or whatever. They were just going through the motions. right? I'm not interested in any of y'all going through the motions. Right? If we have a tally list and we've got oh perfect attendance today, okay, but were you here for the right reasons? Are you here to learn? Are you here to to be convicted? To be challenged? To be um, grow? Right? Growing's painful. You know, I have little kids. You know the growing pains. Right? Sometimes it's about impossible to get them to stop crying. I'm glad they're not here at the moment. Because it can be hours of growing pains, and, and you can try and talk to them at that moment of, well, you're going to enjoy being taller. I don't really care about that right now, Dad. <laughs> right? I just want the pain to stop. Well, it's going to be good for you in the long run. I really don't care about that, Dad. <laughs> right? A warm washcloth. That's about the only thing we found that kind of is a panacea. It doesn't really help, but it gives them something to think about. Um, but growing growing's not comfortable. You're not here to be comfortable. Okay? The world will make you comfortable and content in vile sins. That's not why we're here. Okay? So keep thy foot when thou goest in the house of the rod, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. So don't just go through the motions. Become ready to hear. Swift to hear. Prompt. Fleet. Right? Let's go forward to uh, Luke. Let's look at an example in Jesus' ministry about the way that people were listening to him. Luke chapter 19. We start about verse 46, uh, 45. Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein, them and them that bought. So there's people who were buying and selling goods within the temple itself. They're, they're making the merchandise out of the business of doing sacrifices. He cast them all out, and he said unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it into a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple. The temple after he cast them out. But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do. Why couldn't they destroy them? For all the people were very attentive to hear him. Attentive. That Literally, it means to, to be hanging on the lips of the speaker. That's how attentive they were. they were. They couldn't find an opportunity to conveniently, you know, stick a knife into him because all the people were around him and they're listening so closely and wanting and desiring to learn, to be instructed, and be and to, to hear this great thing. Right? They were very attentive. Right? Go a little bit farther over into Acts chapter 10. Remember that centurion, Cornelius, he was the Gentile that sent for Peter. You know, Peter was up on the housetop and he had the the sheep come down and you know kill Peter and eat. he says, not so, Lord, nothing unclean has gone into my mouth. And does it three times. And the Lord is teaching him that it's okay to go preach to the Gentiles. And so he goes. And when they get there, what Cornelius says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 33. 10, 33. Immediately, therefore, I sent for thee, as Cornelius speaking. And thou hast done well that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here, present before God. To hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. He had had a vision from an angel. You know what the angel said? Go call for that man so that you can hear the things from God. It's, it's important being swift and ready to hear. How about Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17, Paul is going. Um, he's left... Uh, Thessalonica, right? He went down the road to Berea. These, This is Acts 17, verse 11. These were more noble, the Jews, um, than those in Thessalonica. So the the Jews in Berea were more noble in that they received the word, the preached word from Paul, with all readiness of mind and searched the scripture daily whether those things were so. Alright, so Put yourself in the position of these Jews. They'd grown up their whole life, and all they had was the Old Testament, right? They'd had the law. They'd had the tradition. They had you know, what the rabbis had taught. It. They had all that. Y'all think PB is getting kind of calcified in their opinion. Imagine that, all right? And then imagine this fellow coming in and delivering this new piece of information. This is the mysteries that are being revealed. Now they could have acted like the previous Jews and said, this does not comport with what we have already heard, we hereby reject it, go away. That's what the previous Jews had done, right, in in Thessalonica. But what they did was they received it, they were quick to listen, and then they checked it out. I'm I'm not advocating for any of you just to hear whatever somebody says and just accept it, right? But it is okay to have our preconceived notions challenged And when they are, you go back to the Word and you see, is this true? It's discerning the more excellent things. It's seeing, you know, those things that are good and excellent, you go check it against Scripture and see if such things are so. And the good things that are so, keep it. The things that aren't, let it go. But they didn't automatically close their ears down and shut them down because it was something different than what they had heard. We all have blind spots. Blind spots where our doctrine is incomplete or murky or just wrong, right? And so we have to be willing to examine those, hear what they're saying, and then go check in Scripture. It's a two-part process, right? It's not just, okay, he's up there and he seems kind of believable, I'll just go with it. Don't hold me to that standard, right? I am not your standard. Now, I have to stand before God and give an account for everything that I teach. But for y'all's responsibility, it's hear it. Go see it. Flesh it out. If it's there, keep it. If it's not, let it go. But the admonition, all that is being swift to hear. Now you can think about that in the context of preaching. You can also think that about your relationships with individual members, right? That giving of, of advice and counsel, being willing to hear it, being willing to hear hard truths, being willing to hear exhortation. Exhortation can often be uncomfortable. You know, it's one thing when somebody gets up here and reads and says, yeah, All right, you ought to do this. That's kind of, you know, hands off. But when you have someone giving you individual exhortation of, You know, Brother Zach, I'm worried about this. I think you ought to do this. And here's the scripture that I'm basing off that. Who? Right? That can be harder to receive, right? When you're sitting there and someone's talking up here, it's easy to say, Well, he's really talking to, right? You kind of put that mirror up where it's anybody but me, right? But when it's one on one, it's like, Oh, He's talking to me, and he's pointing out an issue where I I need to grow. I could stop that ears right there and say, All right, you're pointing out flaws. Stop it. We do that. That's our human nature. We don't like having our flaws pointed out, right? And if we're just pointing them out and other people just to point them out, then that's not good. But if what we're doing is trying to grow the whole body, and speaking truth to each other in love, because we genuinely love each other, and we genuinely want the best for each other, then guess what? We need to keep our ears open up. Long enough to hear what they've got to say, and then go check it against Scripture. And if it comports with Scripture, if it's is consistent with Scripture, we need to adopt it. Right? Swift to hear. all right? We'll come after that. Swift to hear. Slow to speak. woo Y'all know how many fights you can go in a marriage if you could just adopt that one?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Listen to your spouse and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> all right? It's hard to think and feel at the same time as one of my Asa is, at least my father. <clears throat> um, it is. If I start feeling, my face gets all flushed and whatnot, then I need to keep my mouth shut. Because whatever I'm going to say is not going to be coming directly from my brain. right? It's going to be or not from the logical, calm, rational, cool part of it. That, that gets shut off. Right? I need to let those emotions die down. So, swift to hear. Hear what they have to say. Slow to speak. How many times have you solved an argument with a great clap back? Never! Never? Man, I've got a witty rebuke. I'm going to zing it on them and it's going to solve this argument and we're going to be better off and we're going to love each other. But how often do we do that? Man, I'm so clever. I I can really... I can get right here, and it'll be, it'll be alliteration too. It'll be just be so clever, and no, never. I can't think of a single argument where I, I have resolved the argument, and everyone's been better off because I had a witty, you know, rebuke or return of phrase. It doesn't work. Slow to speak. Later down in chapter one of James, James one and twenty-six, and we'll get to this again later. But I just want to kind of preview it says, if any man among you, and who's he talking to? He's talking about believers. If any man among you seem to be religious, that is someone who's going through emotions, showing piety, they show up at church, they, you know, whatever, right? If there's any among you who seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain or worthless. Right? You get around the world very much and you will just hear rampant profanity, um, just the vilest conversations. I mean, just it just seems like there's no limit to it now. Things that might have just been re- re- even limited to among just men getting together, doesn't seem to matter. It's just across the board, right? That's not us. That's not what we're called to. To bridle your tongue basically means to get it in control, right? That means the the not talking back to mama, right? Or husbands, not talking back to... (laughs) And wives, not talking back, right? But if we have vile uh, just venom being spewed out of our face, we're not bridling our tongues, right? And so you can go through all the motions of religion and if there's not a concerted effort on that piece, it says you're deceiving yourself. You've tricked yourself to think that you're doing, doing the Lord's work. Right? You're, the, that man's religion is vain. Vain means worthless. It's empty. It's hollow. It's just a show. Right? Now later, over in chapter 3, it'll talk about the tongue being that no man can tame it. Guess what? No man can tame the tongue, but the Holy Spirit can. And that's one of the things that differentiates you, is by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, you can control that member of your face. And it can get you a lot of trouble when you choose not to. But you are not beholding to it anymore. All right? Let's go back to Proverbs. Admonition means slow to speak. Proverbs chapter 10. And this is, this concept is just found over and over and over in Proverbs. So we'll just hit a few of them. Proverbs chapter 10. See, verse 19. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. This is a couplet. So this is the negative, the positive. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. Okay? In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. What does that mean? It says the more you talk, the greater the odds are you're going to say something that is a sin or sinful or lead somebody to sin that causes someone to offend or stumble. Later in James chapter 3, we'll talk about that. There's a warning about not being, you know, there's a desire among all these folks to be the leaders, to be the masters, to be the teachers. And he says, okay, but if you do that, there's a higher standard that you're going to be held to because you can be perfect in all areas of your life. But more often than not, you're going to lead somebody to offend by something you said that was wrong. And so the more we talk... (laughs) The greater there's likelihood that we are going to make a mistake, to sin. Right? So in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. It's 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 going to be in there. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. Right? So part of that controlling the tongue is not just tailoring it, but just clamping it shut. Right? Having that, you know, there's the filter of of what how I should say something. Well, install a second filter before that says. Do I have to say anything at all? More often than not, you don't. Right? So using discernment about do I need to speak. Can I speak on this issue in the right attitude, with the right tone, for the right reason? Am I speaking the truth in love, or am I trying to just dig in a knife because somebody's gotten me? Right multitude of words, there wants not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. So a couple of chapters later to verse uh, chapter 13. Verse 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. There are practical, tangible consequences for us not guarding our mouth. That's what it means to keep. It means to guard it. it says that you, you are guarding your very life and livelihood when you are being restrained in what you say. Y'all ever seen anybody fired for popping off? I have. I've seen people who really needed that job, but really wanted to pop off, and they really lost that job. That was a practical, real-world consequence for not keeping their tongue. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Next chapter, 15. Go over to The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. All right? That word aright means to make or to cause things to be well. I'm using knowledge to make things better. If I'm doing that, that's, That's using my tongue in wisdom. The wise do that. But the mouth of the fool poureth out foolishness. Now go check out the previous verse right before that. 15.1 A soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Anybody who's been married want to testify to that? Both sides. We're going to have a whole marriage counseling session on just That one verse, a soft answer turneth away wrath. The grievous words stir up anger. You know, some examples of some soft words. I'm sorry. You were right. I'm sorry. I didn't think that that would happen. I'm... You're right. I made a mistake. Now, if you don't actually believe that, don't just say it. But... Being willing to acknowledge, if nothing else, I'm sorry that you're upset. Those are soft answers that go really contrary to our carnal nature that wants to put up those walls and have things bounce back of, well, yeah, I may be wrong and I don't want to say that, but you're more wrong and I'm going to talk about that to kind of deflect away from me. Right? Those are those harsh words that we're going to bounce it back and beat somebody else over the head on their faults so you'll quit looking at mine. Right? And what does that do? stirs the pot right you get more more trials more trouble but we can control our tongue the tongue of the wise use knowledge aright using your wisdom to make things better okay so again another couple chapters 17 verse 27 he that hath knowledge spareth his words we find a pattern in this right he that hath knowledge spareth his words. And a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Zach you like this. Little translation there for excellent. Chill. Cool. Quiet. Quiet spirit. Right? As opposed to one who gets, you know, the face just gets all red, and you get heated, and you look oh, right? That's not exactly a very helpful spirit. Right? But he that hath knowledge spares his words. A man of understanding is of an excellent spirit, a cool or quiet spirit verse 28 says even a fool when he holdeth his peace is counted as wise right and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding so we need to have not only that filter of am I saying the right thing but do I need to say anything at all there's a verse that says let the ignorant be ignorant it's not your job to correct every misconception that somebody has particularly if it's your spouse. That's not your job. Right? Am I doing things to make things better, for them to be better, for our relationship to be better, to our walk to Christ to be better? If that's your motivation, then proceed down that path with judgment and discernment. But do not feel like you have to respond to everybody's misconception. And you want to see some real terrible examples of that, go look on Facebook. Right? Somebody will put out something and you will see people... Jumping all over them to, to demonstrate how smart they are and how dumb they are. Right? Is
0: there
1: any love in that and motivation? No. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Let's see, we got another over in chapter 21. 21 and verse 23. There it is. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Go again forward to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We read verse 1 about keeping thy foot when thou goest in the house and being ready to hear. Verse 2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and now upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Now in the context of this, it was more of a common practice back then to make vows to God. God, I will do this if you do that. I think in general that's not something we need to do. We don't want to try and bind God to anything. But if you open your mouth to say that you will do something to God, you better follow through. You know, the New Testament talks about rather than making promises and, and swearing upon things is don't swear at all just let your yay be yay if you say yes i'm going to do something do it you don't have to say and i swear by whatever to to somehow make it more valid men and brothers and sisters our word if it comes out of our mouth it should by default be truth right so if we commit to doing something say i will do it we're committed we're locked in. I don't need to have a contract with Brother Parrish. He said he was going to come out here and cut that field. He's going to come out here and cut that field because he said he was going to. I'm not holding to a specific day. I just appreciate it. My little lawnmower can't do it. But those things of the world, of I have to have these additional documents and layers and promises and penalties, that's because they're not trustworthy within the church. That's not the case here. If we say yes, let it be yes. If we say no, Let it be known. Right? But that's being holding our word as something very valuable. And guess what? If you cannot commit to something, don't open your mouth and say that you will. Right? That's using that judgment about keeping our mouths of not speaking (laughs) before we ought to. Right? You know, and to, to speak on that matter one more time, back in Proverbs 18, I missed one. Proverbs 18 and verse 13. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Y'all ever experience that? I'm not talking about you're the one talking and somebody jumps on you. I'm talking about someone else is trying to explain something. You quit listening and then you interrupt them and you jump down their throat. right? You are answering a matter. It's like the judge. You're going for the judge. If we got this whole lawsuit, you give your opening statement and he's halfway through his and the judge says, Just stop right there. I've decided this, we're done. Judge, I haven't even heard the case yet. You wouldn't think that was a very righteous judge, right? He's not being fair. He's not being equitable. We do that. We do that. We need to hear the matter, be swift to hear, and then after we've heard the matter, then we speak. All right? He that heareth, he that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. All right. And then finally, I've... I've, I know I've shared with multiple of y'all, y'all on occasion of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This this verse has been very convicting to me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 um, and verse 11. Well, I'll go back to get um, 9 just to kind of get the full sentence. It says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Okay? You know you need to love each other. You know God's teaching you that. And indeed, you do it towards all brethren which are in Macedonia. And we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So that that he's begging that their love will grow. And then immediately after that, it says, and your love grows one to another and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business, to work with your own hands as we have Commanded you that you may walk honestly towards them that are without, outside the church, and that you might have lack of nothing. Right? So that idea of having uh, study that means to be earnest, to strive, to labor. You are laboring to be quiet, and that quiet means to to refrain from from meddlesome conduct or speech. I mean, y'all you, all, you all understand what the concept of of a, of a busybody is of somebody who's going around and stirring up things and trying to right. We have to be diligent in our effort to not do that. Right? Now, I was asked a question by a group of preachers yesterday at fellowship, and they asked my opinion on that, if I had any thoughts on that, and my response was, not at this time. And then I told them about my conviction about studying to be quiet. <laughs> and we had a good conversation about that. But not everything requires my input or my opinion um, or even my involvement. Um, and that's part of us growing up, of knowing that there are areas where we have to serve and things where we can give gifts. And there are areas where it's not where we're supposed to be. And we need to discern that and be diligent in our, our efforts to labor where we're called. All right? Last one is slow to wrath. All right? Let's go back to Proverbs. And I know I'm not teaching you all anything that you haven't heard before, but we all need reminders of it. All right, Stir you up. Put you in remembrance. Proverbs 14... In verse 17, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Sometimes we try to give anger a pass. Well, that's just my way. I'm just angry. I've just got a short temper. Y'all, you're confessing sin. That's like saying, well, you know, I'm just an adulterer. That's not a good thing! Right? Right? Lay it aside. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Go again down to verse twenty-nine of the same chapter. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. You build up folly and foolishness and trials and troubles when you are hasty in your spirit, when you are popping off. Right? He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. You want to grow? You want to be wise? Slow to anger. Slow to wrath. Chapter 15, down in verse 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. Soft answer, turneth away strife, harsh angers. Well, if you get angry really fast, guess what's more likely to come out of your mouth? Right, we used that illustration sometime in the last couple of years about putting on a big pot of water to boil. All right. You can turn that thing on to high heat, very hard situation, and does it immediately start to boil? No. You put that same big old pot and you put that eh, much water in it. and you turn that high heat on, is it going to take very long? No. All right. So our call as we're growing up is we're going to keep filling up water in that more and more and more and more so that we can endure harder and harder situations by God's grace and not react to that same carnal reaction of popping off like having the, the oil that gets too hot and it's just, just all jumping all over the place. That's how sometimes we get with just the littlest bit of heat. But we should be patient and long-suffering, and particularly among the church, right? That whole definition that God gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. Man, y'all go, y'all go look at that, and I want you to put it in two columns. Things that love is and things that love isn't. And that love, that column that it's not of not being... Uh, it's, it's very long, but it's a lot of things that you don't think about with love, about being uh, not quick to anger and long-suffering and um, not envying and boasting and stuff, but just think about, how's your homework or something? Go read that. And I want you to write that in two columns. What is love and what is it not? Um, all right. What chapter are we in? 16? Let's go down to 17. Oh, nope, 16.32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth the spirit than he that taketh the city. I don't see much benefit of working on just controlling my temper. It says here, it's better to be in control of your own spirit than to be a mighty warrior and go out and conquer a city. That gives you a scale of how important God considers that. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And the strongest warrior, you can control your temper, your anger, and your spirit. 17, down in verse 14. The beginning of, beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. This is just a wonderful imagery. Y'all ever build dams over little creeks? you're little, right? A little creek, you build the dam up, and water gets all great. And then what happens? There's just a little bit of water that flows up, and you try and pack it up. A little bit of water, you try and pack it up, and eventually you get kind of tired of playing, and you poke a little hole in it, right? And what happens to that water real quick? It blows the whole dam out, right? You just put a little hole. It's just a little contention, just a little meddling, and before long that stripe is going to come blowing through, right? The force of water just will drive it on. That's that's what the image is teaching you about. Don't do the little meddling, poking causing strife. Don't allow it. just even the littlest bit because the consequences rapidly get worse. Okay? Over 19, 19 and 19. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. Ooh, I've got a bad temper. Okay, well here it says there's something going to happen. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. And then talking to those who help him out of that punishment. For if thou deliver him, yea, thou must do it again. A man of great wrath, this is going to be a pattern. He's going to get into trouble over and over again. So if you're going to bail it out, just expect it's going to happen again. Okay? We don't need to be content with having great wrath within our lives. Right? That's something we need to put put to death. Go forward to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Not too far. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 8 and 9. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. It's better to be of a patient spirit. That's the spirit that God calls us to. That's the one that he has given us. That's the one that we should be working to adopt and mold and use. Not being content to just keep that old portion of the man. Well, I'm going to keep the old man right here, and I'll try and put on the new man everywhere else. doesn't work that well. Okay? Let's not have our religion be vain. All right, let's go back to James. Wherefore, because of all this, because of the good gifts from God, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Ready to hear. Attentive to hear. I don't even want to talk to him. Be ready to hear. Slow to speak. I got something to say. No. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. If you can listen and not speak and not be angry while someone is talking, you can prevent a lot of conflict, a lot of unforced errors, right? Sometimes we get into mistakes, just we made a big mistake. Sometimes we compile those mistakes and we didn't need to unforced errors, right? Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Verse 20 gives you the why. Why? Why should I be slow to wrath? It says, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You getting bent out of shape and full of wrath and anger and vitriol and you know, that heat in your collar, you're not working the righteousness of God. Don't confuse yourself that you are. Right? And all this is in the context of the church. Right? These are beloved, beloved, and bre- uh, beloved believers. And later he's going to be teaching about those who are trying to make themselves to be the biggest and the best. And how that they often are demonstrating that wisdom of the world that's full of envy and pride. And what causes among the people from that is strife and division and bitterness. He's saying that when you're trying to jockey for position or whatever and you're getting so angry and bit out of shape because somebody doesn't agree with you, guess what? You're not working the righteousness of God. The wrath of man doesn't do that. right? Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 22 through 26 for context flee also youthful, youthful lusts youthful as in those things that one either you were tempted to do as a younger person or that as a babe in Christ that you're still drawn to flee them follow righteousness faith charity peace with them that call on the lord out of a pure heart this is a team sport right you're fo- you're call- you're following those things with the other believers, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart as opposed to an unfeigned, uh, as opposed to a feigned heart, one that's just pretending. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. You may say the context of this is preachers. Well, it is, but... You're all servants of the Lord. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Strive means to to be angry, to be argumentative, to be quarrelsome. You're not called to that. It says, but gentle to all men, apt to teach, willing to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure, adventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So you may be talking to someone who is grossly wrong in their doctrine and their approach and their application in this particular area of their life. They can be just flat out wrong. But it's still not your job to get angry and wrathful and try and beat them over the head over it. Our job is to consistently be patient, meek in our approach, gentle, teaching so that if the Lord will apply the lesson, they'll take it and run with it. But you're not going to get it through through blunt force.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Sometimes, man, we want to be like JL. Remember JL? She had the guy come to her tent and he was a bad guy. And so she said, Here, take a rest here. And she took the tent stake and went wham through his head. It's kind of rough. Don't name your daughter JL, right? <laughs> Sometimes that's how we want to approach teaching other folks. Well, you're in the wrong. Lay down for a minute. Oh. That's not the pattern that Christ gave. Right? Gentle, meek, ready to teach. <clears throat> All right. The wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. All right. I'll read up. Make sure I'm reading them just right. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Of God, and I'm just going to read through the rest of the chapter, just real quickly, to kind of tee up the next ones. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, another because, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity, superfluity of naughtiness. That means the the superabundance, the just the the gross, what massive numbers of, of, of unclean things in your life. He said, lay it down, lay it apart. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save or deliver your souls. But, as a warning, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. One who is just a hearer and not a doer, you're deceiving yourself. If you're not, you can sit here, and you can even be saying amen, but if you don't take it and apply it, you're just, I mean... It's self-deception. Say, okay, I'm doing okay. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in the glass. So looking at a mirror, right? For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway. He forgetteth what manner of man he was. Because all he knew was what that reflection was, that one time he was looking at it. He doesn't know. But he's who looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The doer, his deed will be that work. Living in the law of liberty, right? If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but, dece- and, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit means to aid the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Sometimes folks will just focus on the first part of that verse and forget about the second. And keep himself unspotted from the world. Thank you all for your time and attention. I thank the Lord for an opportunity now.